We're going to continue in Hebrews chapter number 11 tonight. Hebrews chapter number 11. Go ahead and be turning there and then use your other place holding finger to get to Judges chapter number 6. So Hebrews chapter number 11 and Judges chapter number 6. I have thoroughly enjoyed our study through and our walk through God's Hall of Heroes here in Hebrews chapter number 11. I think it's been good just to really line by line, verse by verse, go through and look at these men and women and, and what they did and uh, maybe not necessarily what they did, but what it was about them that made them the most like Christ. And that is something that we could emulate. Last week we looked at Rahab and we looked at her taking action and we looked at right there where she was in the midst of her circumstances, even the midst of her reputation and her label and everything that she had working against her. She chose to do something for God. She chose to take action to change where she was and what a blessing Rahab was. And uh, that'll be one of the people I, I want to meet when I get to have. I want to meet people like Rahab, people that uh, the world had forgotten about, the world had not even had on their radar, the world had labeled and the world had completely wrote off. But God looked at that young lady and saw something special, saw somebody that she cared, he cared about and saw somebody that he could use. And tonight we're going to move on in Hebrews chapter number 11. I know we've been sitting a while, so uh, if you're willing and uh, physically able, verse number 11, if you'll stand as we read verse 32. Verse 32. <clears throat> the Bible says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Gideon. Tonight we're going to look at Gideon, the hero of war. Gideon, the hero of of war. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Bible. Thank you so much that we don't have to play a guessing game with this thing called life, but we have the Holy Writ of Scripture. We have the literal God-breathed Word of God in our laps and in our hands, God, and I thank you for that. I thank you that we can look to your Word tonight, dive into it, study it, see the men and women in your Word as they were just people like these people gathered here today, just regular people like these people gathered here today. Let us see what you divinely used them to do. Let us see the characteristics you pulled out in their hearts and their lives and let us align ourselves with your scripture tonight. Let us leave here different than we came. Let us leave here more like you. I pray and I ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. And as you sit down, go ahead and flip back to Judges chapter number six. Judges chapter number six. So a short time ago, we were talking about Joshua. We were talking about Rahab. We were talking about that conquering of Jericho. And we talked about how the people of Israel had finally reached the point where they would inhabit the promised land. And under the command and control of that leader, Joshua, they went and conquered and went and uh, pretty much took over and inhabited that promised land. They did exactly what God promised them they would do. There was not an enemy that could come against them. There was not a foe that could best them. They moved in set up camp and it began to be God's sweetheart, began to be God's chosen people there in that promised land. But we know that Joshua died. Joshua passed off the scene uh, and, it, and there was no one that wanted to step up and take the leadership role. And uh, it was not uh, for God to, to do that at that time. God said, I'm your God. I am your leader. You focus in and you obey and you follow me. And we know that uh, <clears throat> Israel did not respect that command. We know that Israel did not abide by that command. And we know that uh, they rebelled against God. And if, you, if we were to read in chapter number six, if we were to read the first 10 verses, we would understand that Israel uh, in a summary, verse number one, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian 
seven years. When you do things evil in the sight of the Lord, when you know better, you know what God's told you to do. You know what God's commanded of you. You know that God just wants you to follow him and not look for man's wisdom, not look for a king, not look for this, not look for that. But you know what God want, wants you to do. And you both face rebel against that. God in his sight sees that as pure evil. And what did God do? He allowed them to be conquered by this kingdom known as the Midianites, known they were a, a pagan nation, a pagan country that did not serve the Lord. And he allows them to taste defeat for the first time since they left the land of Egypt. Under Joshua, they would have been winners. They would have been the country whose nation and whose God was the Lord. They would have been unstoppable. There was not one army that could stand against them. Uh, and they, they would have had this legacy up until this point since they left Egypt of winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And now when they turn their backs to God, now they suffer their first loss. And not just their first loss, but they now are under a seven-year enslavement that these Midianites came in and took over and were holding the nation of Israel hostage. They did not have a political say anymore. They did not have a government to, to have a say in what their people needed. They did not have a, uh, any kind of priority in the eyes of the Midianites. They were, once again, exactly what they were back in the land of Egypt. They were the slaves to these people, Midianites. And uh, they... Uh, they called out to the Lord. They realized the error of their ways and they realized what had gone wrong. And as they begin to look to their left and look to the right, they, they, they say, you know what? We used to win. We didn't used to have to worry about these pesky Midianites. We didn't used to have to worry about these pagan. We, there used to be something great about the nation of Israel. There used to be something amazing about how we, we all would just serve God and follow God and do what God said was right and execute those orders and, and, and follow those commandments and follow what Moses said and follow what Joshua said and follow what God there used to be something amazing about that, but now we're, we're slaves again. Well, where did we go wrong? And no doubt they went back to the place where they walked away from God, where they stopped praying, where they stopped seeking for His will, where they stopped seeking for what He wanted them to do and what He was telling them to do. And no doubt they realized, hey, we have turned our back against God. They call out to God and they say, God, you, we're sorry. If, if we were looking at again and Verse seven, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, they came to the point where they cried back out to God and they said, hey, we know we've messed up. We know we've done wrong. We know that the reason the Midianites have conquered us. We know that the reason we're being oppressed, the reason we're being enslaved is because we've messed up with you, God. And verse number seven, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the land of all that oppressed you and drave them out before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. He gives them a promise that, listen, the God you serve, the God I am, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be there for you. And we see his answer. We see his solution to the problem would lie in what we would know as the first judge and his name would be Gideon. And we zoom in on his life in chapter number six and uh, verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah that pertained to Joash Abiez, the Abizurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, 
thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, be with us. Why then is all this befallen us? Notice all the questions. He's, he's unloading on the Lord. When the angel of the Lord begins to speak to him and he says, Arise, thou mighty man of valor. And notice Gideon's first move wasn't to uh, say, Thanks for coming, or would you like something to drink, or you know, thanks for coming and talking to me. He begins to immediately unload on the Lord and says, uh, Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all befallen us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did the Lord Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us unto the hand of the Midianites. And you can just see the heart of Gideon here. The moment he hears from God, the moment the angel of the Lord begins to speak to him, he just just unloads on. He begins to say, Lord, why, well, look around. Look at all that's happened. We're slaves. I'm back here threshing wheat by the wine press. I'm having to hide the wheat. I'm having to, to stow away food. I'm having to, to, to do things in secret because they'll come in and they'll take it. God, why have you allowed this to happen? Where are your miracles? My dad used to talk, tell me about the stories of you parting the Red Sea and how his granddad watched the Egyptians get swallowed up in that ocean. And my dad told me stories about how Joshua would lead us into battle and we would be outnumbered 100 to 1, God, and we would decimate them. But God, why have you let this happen to us? We see Gideon just simply being like you and being like me and just unloading on the Lord. How many of you have had one of those sessions? How many of you have had one of those said? You can identify where Gideon's at. You've hit your knees. You know you've got a place and you've got God's attention that he's met with you. He's brought you to a place and you just begin to unload and begin to share your burdens and begin to just spill everything that's bothering you. And that is when we are most honest with God. A lot of people, like Brother Don said, would look down their nose and say, how dare you not have faith or how dare you question or how dare. But each and every one of us knows what it is to come to the place where you've just got to ask why. You've just got to say, well, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow this to happen to my family? Why in the world? Did you know that Jesus Christ said why? You remember that? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ could look at God the Father and ask why, don't you think God understands a little bit when me, you and I do? A lot of preachers would beat you up and say, oh, you should never question. You should never ask why. You, you should never. That's not the case. We see it all throughout Scripture. People are people and our ways are not his ways. And sometimes we just don't understand. And Gideon was right here in the middle of that. He was right where you and I have found ourselves time and time again and say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Now, here's the difference between what we want and what God does. You see, what we want is, is, some, is, is God to you know, uh, tell us that all of our frustrations are justified and that the whole world's wrong and we're right and that, every, and that pat us on our little head and tell us our way's going to work and, and, and do what we want maybe our mama to do or what we want our wife to do for us sometimes. How many of you husbands have made the mistake of going to your wife to, to be coddled and said, you know, honey, this is going on and, and my wife will look and go, suck it up, buttercup. What are you, what are you complaining about? Go back tomorrow and you show them what a Christian you are and you show. And I, but honey, I just wanted somebody to feel sorry for me. She says, no, no, you ain't going to find that here. You, you didn't marry that wife. You married me and I don't coddle anybody. How I many you know where I'm at, husbands? You know where I'm talking about. They'll, they'll coddle the babies and they'll say it's going to be okay. And, and, and their little friends they hang out with, they'll coddle them. And, and the people, they'll, they'll pray, you know, and it's going to be all right. It's gonna, but when the husband comes home and says, hey, I just need somebody to feel sorry for me. She said, you ain't going to find it here. Go on somewhere else. I ain't going to feel sorry for you here. That's not what God did. He didn't coddle Gideon. He didn't uh, <clears throat> get into his emotions. In verse number 14, it says, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel 
from the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor and Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon asked the question that all the heroes before and all the heroes after that we're going to study, he asked the same one. God, me? Are you kidding me? Are you talking to me? I'm alone. Don't you see? I'm back out here getting some wheat. I'm back out here hiding from the men. I'm scared to death of them. If I was brave, I would have done fought them. If I was brave, I'd be over there with the secret militia, you know, planning the coup. I'm over here getting some, I'm over here hiding, getting wheat. And you're going to ask me? He thought he was all by himself. He thought he was alone. And not only did he think he was alone, he thought he was poor, that he had nothing to offer. He said, my family is the least in the area. My, my family is the, it has nothing, no prestige, no power, no influence. My last name carries no weight. The son of Joash, when I said, I'm Gideon, the son of Joash, nobody has a clue who I am. I'm the most broke family in the whole neighborhood. And even in the family, I'm the least of the house. Everybody picks on me. My brothers pick on me. My sisters even pick on me. God, I am no body. It's a contemporary song, but I'll just be honest. I like it. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Well, Gideon got the first part right there. I'm just a nobody. I'm nobody, God. You're me. I'm nobody. You want me to start a war. Gideon, the hero of war. You see, God knew that it was going to take war to get him out of the position they were in. They had been seven years enslaved. There was going to need to be a fight. And before there could be a fight, he needed somebody to pick a fight. You see, because the Midianites had it made. It's been seven years and these Israelites, they'd done moved in. They'd done married their wives. They'd done married their kids. And they'd done blended with that culture. And the Israelites, they liked the gods of the Midianites now. And they worship Baal too. And, and they, they worship the, the pagan gods with the with the Midianites and the Midianites had spread out and relaxed. They didn't have the standing army anymore. But, but before God could defeat them, before God could wipe them off the face of the earth, God had to wake them up. God had to pick a fight. God had to give them a reason to, to gather together and to assemble their armies. So he says, hey, Gideon, I need you to pick a fight. I need you to go to war. And here's Gideon. I'm nobody. I'll go out in the street and say, all right, everybody, let, let's, get to the, let's rally together. And they're going to just start laughing at me. God, you don't understand. My people, the people, your people, they like the Midianite. There's not many people out there that are, are crying for you. Yeah, we know that some of us, we want to get back to God. But by and large, people have bought into this thing of the Midianites. By and large, they've gone. They're on the wrong side. How am I going to convince them? I'm nobody. And he says, I need you to go pick a fight. I need you to go pick a fight, Gideon. Verse number 15, uh, 16. And the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign. Here's, here's Gideon doing. If there's ever anybody like you and like me, it's Gideon. God, if it's really you, give me a sign. Give me a sign. All right? Give me a sign. How many times have we asked that? Miss BJ, I like the one that just says, Here's your sign. Come to church. Because you know there's somebody going to be driving down Cloud Springs Road, Lakeview Drive, whatever, Lakeview Drive, and say, God, if you want me to church, just give me a sign. They'll look at that. Here's your sign. Come to church. 
All right. And I, I, I like that one because it's really that simple. God wills all men everywhere to repent. God wills that everyone would be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We shouldn't need a sign. We shouldn't. And Jesus said an evil and an adulterous and a wicked generation seeketh for a sign. But here's Gideon saying, all right, God, if it's really you talking to me, if this just isn't me being in the wine press a little too long making weed, if this just isn't me being out in the hot sun a little too long, if this just isn't me thinking I'm crazy, I want to make sure this is what you are asking me to do, not just what I Show me a sign. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes in verse number 19 and an epath of flour and the flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in the pot and brought it unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened bread cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unliving cakes. And there rose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unliving cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. In verse 22, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. The one thing Gideon was afraid of, the one thing Gideon was really harping is that I'm going to get myself killed. God, I am nobody. I am weak. I am poor. I am alone. I'm just going to be uh, the, the guy that just goes in there and just gets snuffed out. They're going to whoop me, God. And he says, thou shalt not die. We have come to the place where the church has forgotten how powerful it is, where the church has forgotten how much of a backbone we used to have. And the church has forgotten the God we serve and the power of our God and the might of our God. God may just be asking some of us to go out there and pick a fight. Ooh, no, but to just stand for truth, to be the one that says, I'm not going to go the way of the Midianites. I'm not going to go the way, by and large, that my nation has gone. I'm not going to say what's not okay is okay. I'm not just going to turn a blind eye. I'm not just going to remain silent. I'm going to see that, that there's a God in heaven that loves these people around me and that cares about these people around me. And I'm not just going to pass the time and fill a pew. I'm going to be somebody that God could use to go to war, that God could use to call the enemy what it is. Number one, Gideon had to war against his father's house. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> Look at verse 24, uh, 25. And it came to pass the same night, verse 25, the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years, seven years old. So he tells him to sacrifice two of the bullocks that belong to his father. Now, there's a lot of deep diving in of, of, of whether it was the young one represented this or the old one represented that. What you need to understand here is he was being asked to go into his father's livestock, the very beasts, the very cattle, the very things that his father would have sacrificed to Baal. Okay, you follow me? These bullocks, these calves would have been the cows that his father had set aside, had put aside to sacrifice on the altar of the pagan God of the false God. And he tells, so what he was essentially telling Gideon to do is to completely and totally reject and completely and totally turn his back on the religion of his daddy. Go into the house, go into the place where your daddy has set aside those special calves, those special bullocks for sacrifice unto Baal. Go into the place where he's laid up his treasure. You take his treasure and you sacrifice it unto me. You take the things that he's put his faith and trust in and you wash the sake clean. 
Gideon, I need you to break the mold. Just because your daddy's doing something, just because your daddy has fallen this way, I need you to make a statement to your father and to your family that you're not going to just go around the merry-go-round. You're not going to be a drug addict like your daddy. You're not going to worship the false gods of alcohol and, and this, that, and the other like your daddy. You're not going to go chase women like your daddy. You're not just going to go chase your career and money, fame, and fortune like your daddy. You're not going to sacrifice those little to those little G-gods like your daddy is. I need you to go to the place where your daddy's at. I need you to go where he lays up his treasures and show him that you're going to be different. You don't have to be like your daddy if your daddy's a sinner. You don't have to. And I, tell, I told that again, this, these messages were designed for teenagers. And oh, how I could see the hurt in their eyes when I looked at them in their little eyeballs and said, you ain't got to be like your daddy. You ain't got to be like your mama. And the pain would just come right out of you could see it. Because they got a mama that's strung out on drugs. They got a daddy that they don't even know where he's at. They got a family. They got a home that's completely unbroken. That's where Gideon was. His daddy was out sacrificing these cows to Baal every night. His, his daddy was out worshiping this, this golden calf statue, this God of the sun. And he was doing all these rituals. And this was a man who once told him about Joshua. This was a man. He said, where are the miracles, God, that our fathers have told us about? This was a man that once would have took little Gideon to church. This was a man that once would have told little Gideon the story of Moses and the Red Sea. And told uh, Gideon the story of Joshua and the, the walls falling down around Jericho. But now this had become a man that was completely and totally rebelling against God and worshiping idols. And he said, Gideon, go make a blatant statement to your father. You're done with it. You're done with it. And that's the hardest thing for these little ones to understand because when they look, when you, when, when they look at the decision they have to make and they say, if I choose Christ, that may mean my daddy don't want me no more. If I choose Christ, that may mean my mama won't, won't let me come and come to church no more. Because if, if I'm different and I look at them and I say, I'm not doing what you're doing with these golden calves. And I'm not doing these drugs. And I'm not going to be okay with this lifestyle anymore, mama. I'm not going to be okay with this lifestyle anymore, daddy. I'm going to serve God. I've, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. And they, they evaluate that decision and they say, my daddy might get mad. My mama might, my, my mama might not talk to me no more. They might kick me out of the house. I don't know if you remember, he testified years ago on the night I surrendered to preach. I have a friend, his name's Jack Wongmany. And he gave testimony of coming to America through immigration, meeting a friend at school, going over to his house, seeing there was something different. His family served Buddha and, and worshipped in Buddhism and all that good uh, gobbledygook. And he saw something different in this family. This family took him to church. He took him to youth meeting and he got saved at youth meeting. And as a, I think it was a 14-year-old boy came home, tells his Buddhist parents that he's accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as a 14-year-old boy, he was on the street immediately for his decision. That's what was at stake here for Gideon. That's what was at. God looked at Gideon and said, go get your father's little G gods, little I idols, and get them out of the house and sacrifice them. And you're going to bring them back and you're going to do something with them. So, number one, he had to war against his own house, his father's house. Not only that, Gideon had to war against his father's heroes. Look at verse 25 again. Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down, this is where the pick in the fight comes in. This is what's going to trigger the Midianites. This is what's going to get everyone's attention. And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Here's what God just told Gideon to do. Out in your father's courtyard, there's an altar under this false god, Baal. 
There's also what is called a grove, which is a symbol, another statue of a god named Asphorez. Asphorez, I don't want to say it wrong. I'm going to say it wrong, but at least I could try. Asherah. So you got Baal and this other idol, this other statue to a goddess named Asherah. He said, Gideon, go out into the courtyard where those statues, those little altars are, tear them down, destroy them. Now Gideon had been asked to now take it one step further. He had now not just been asked to do battle with his daddy's house and his daddy's lineage. Now he was going out into the public eye and he was saying, me, Gideon, I am not aligning with these statues. I am not aligning with uh, this way of worship. I'm not aligning with these pagans. Now, what is very significant here is what God is literally telling him to rebel against. You see, Baal was the sun god. He was in charge in these Midianites' eyes of making sure that uh, they had the weather they needed and, and had the, the control and victories in battle. And you got to remember, the sun is very important, not just today, but back then you don't have light bulbs. You don't have batteries for flashlights. You don't have... And, the, the victories would a lot of times all be determined in the daytime. And, and, and the sun god was something that they would worship because it was very critical that they had the sun they needed and they had the light that they needed. And it was what brought life to their crops and it was what brought life to their livestock. And they began to see that big yellow ball in the sky and they said, well, we're going to worship that. And well, we can't worship that because every time we keep staring at it, we burn our eyes out. So we're going to make a little G God to worship that's going to be in the place of that. And now he tells Gideon, go break all that up, go tear it up. Oh, yeah, and that, that goddess uh, Asherath, that goddess Asherath, that fertility goddess, that goddess they worship to help them to find love and help them to find wives and help them to have families. The thing that they're building their families on, the thing that they're building their house on. Yeah, go ahead and cut that down too. Break that up. So now it's where rubber meets the road for Gideon. Wage war against your father's house. Now go wage war against your father's heroes. Go in the public eye and say... I'm not down with this. I'm not doing what y'all are doing. I'm not going to worship these false idols. I'm not going to, as for me and my house, maybe God got in the conversation with Gideon here and said, there was once a young man named Joshua and he stood up to your people and he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to get back to that, don't we? We need to get back to that, don't we? Just making it a public statement. I don't care if this offends you. I don't care if you never talk to me again. I don't care if you don't want to be my friend again. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's no stone thrown involved in that. There's no pharisaical judging involved in that. It's just letting the world around you know where you stand. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no being mean to people in that. It's just letting you know, people around you know, your coworkers around you know, at my house, we serve God. That's what he's saying. Now notice, God knew this was all it would take. God knew this was all it would take to get him riled up, to get him mad and angry. Gideon, it even says, was too scared to do it during the daytime. So he did it at nighttime. He snuck out and, and broke up this altar, okay, and, and took his dad's calves and, and sacrificed them and, and got rid of them and, and broke this altar up and just made this big bloody mess. And he would very quickly get the attention of these Midianites. The Midianites said, did you hear what happened over there at, at Gideon's house, at Joash's house? Yeah, somebody's tore down the arm. They've made a very specific statement. That, 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 we've got to squash this. We've got to squash this rebellion. Let's make an example out of them. So they begin to spread the word and they begin to call the troops in. And now you have this encampment of the Midianite troops getting bigger and bigger and bigger and their army is assembling in one place. They're falling in 
in line with exactly where God's finger of judgment was about to fall. And they're falling in line where exactly where God needed them. We would know later on in chapters that <clears throat> he would use Gideon to scare, literally scare the daylights out of them. And they would all end up killing each other. They would fall by each other's swords. And, but before God could do that, he had to get them in one spot. Has it ever occurred to you that God allows the nations to rile and rebel against him to the point where he knows where they're at, where he knows where they stand, where he knows where the wicked are and where he knows where the righteous are. And it is a lot easier and it is a lot more feasible for God to deal with nations, for God to deal with groups of people, for God when they're concentrated in one place. We've seen it all throughout history. We've seen diseases and pestilence comes in and wipe out areas and you go back and look. Well, yeah, well, they did pass that law and they did do that and they did. And you can mark it down. You can go all the way back throughout history. And when a nation and a groups of people rebel against God, it's never coincidence that the negatives befall them. As these Midianites would gather, we'd know chapters later that right there where they gathered up, that's where God would deal with them. God needed somebody to kick the hornet's nest. God needed somebody to war against his father's house, war against his father's heroes. But lastly, he just needed somebody to worship his own father, to worship God. Look at what he told him to do. So, brother, are you telling us to fight? Are you telling us? You just spent a whole message last Sunday night not to tell, telling us not to get involved in the riot and telling us not to get involved in the hatred and telling us not to stoop to that level. And, and now you're telling us to kick the hornet's nest and now you're telling us to war and now you're telling us to fight. No, look how God tells them to kick this whole thing off. Look where God tells them to start. Look where God, Lord, have mercy. Look at your Bibles. Verse number 25. Father hath and cut down the grove that is by it in verse 26 and build an altar unto the Lord. Where's the war start? Where did it start tonight at 6.15? The altar. Y- y'all didn't get that. Where's the war start? At, at 6.15? Where's it start? But you don't understand, preacher. The whole world's against us. You don't understand what they're posting. You don't understand what they're published in. You don't know what... And God, and God wants us to stand up to Him. And God wants to... But, but where do I start, preacher? What, where? The altar. Your family altar. Your home altar your personal altar, and prayer, people, and prayer. When he called Gideon to be the hero of war, to be the one that would rebel and fight these Midianites and, and completely escape them from the seven years captivity they had been in, the first thing he tells them to do is build an altar and sacrifice unto the Lord. And that's Old Testament, friend. That's Old Testament where they had to build a specific place and provide a specific sacrifice. Guess what? New Testament, me and you, he's still telling us to fight the good fight. He's still telling us to stand up for what's right. But the blessed thing about me and you is we ain't got to go pile up a bunch of rocks, find a goat, kill it, spread blood everywhere and do all this mess we have an altar right where we are at all times we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and he says if you want to fight if you want to stand up for me the first thing you need to do is pray could it really be that simple could it really be and this is what he hit me over the head with tonight Brother, you've been fighting hell by the acre at work. You've been fighting this temptation to get mad and get angry and get frustrated because the whole billion dollar company Bass Pro has to come ask you to do something that's not your job because nobody in the building knows how to do it and you're the only one knows how to do it. And you get mad and you get frustrated and you go in there and you, and you try to act this way and you try to act this way and you're ready to put your dukes up. You're ready to fight. You're ready to tell everybody how terrible everything is. Bryce, you're ready to complain about this, complain about that. And you never prayed, not one time. That's what it hit me with. If he'll hit me with that, I know he might hit some of y'all with that because some of y'all are way more wicked than I am. Shame on me. 
Shame on me. No. We know. There's none righteous, no, not one. We know that all have sinned and come, glory, come short of the glory of God. But we also know that there's an enemy out there who has marching orders to tear your life up, tear my life up. There's an enemy out there that's got a lot of us enslaved. He's got a lot of churches in this area, hook, line, and sinker, just like those Midianites did. He's got a lot of Joe Ashes in the churches all over this area that have bought in, that have completely sold out. And they said, you know what? We're okay with this, this new progressive thing. And we're, we're okay with these, these new ideas. Yeah, the Bible may say it's wrong, but you know what? These are different times. The Bible didn't change, did it? The God of our Bibles didn't change, did it? So God's looking at Bryce. He's looking at Mike. He's looking at Gary. He's looking at Tony. He's looking at Rouse. He's looking at other Rouse. And he's looking at Morgan. And he's looking at these people. And he's saying, stand up for yourself, Gideon. Stand up for your country. Stand up for your God, Gideon. But if you're going to start it, you better start it right. God never called anybody to start it with a Facebook post. Come on now. God never called anybody to start it by going and tweeting something. God never called anybody to go and point out everybody else's flaws. But I promise you, you spend time like Gideon did on that first night. Are we looking around? All right, I tore it down, Lord. I tore it down. All right, I better draw my sword. No, that's not what God said. All right, Lord, I tore it down. I better go rally the troops and get everybody excited and get everybody mad and ready to kill them. No, that's not what he said. All right, I tore it down. Nope. Tear it down. Pray. And we would know Gideon would sacrifice there, hit that altar, and an army that would show up was too big. God said, no, that army's too big. Step him down a little bit, Gideon. No, no, step it down a little bit more. Do this, Gideon, do that, Gideon. All right, now you're outnumbered about 300 to 1. Now we'll fight. But guess what? Gideon never had to swing the first sword, did he? Gideon never had to go kill the first soldier, did he? No. God literally scared the daylights out of them bad people so bad. Scared the daylights. He faced them with their culture, with their fears so bad. They turned on each other and killed each other, didn't they? Wow. Wow. You know what I've witnessed? You just, you get in those situations where it's fight time when everybody's got their dukes up. And you just begin to tell them about Jesus. You just begin to speak truth. Say, yeah, Jesus loves him and him. Yeah, you both can't agree on nothing, but Jesus loves you both, so somebody's got to work it out. And you begin to just throw truth in before you know it, even though both of them were coming at you between, before you know it, here they go at each other. Before you know it, the opposition that was once so great against you and so against you and the whole world was against you, now it's fighting each other and you're sitting back going, wow, God, yeah, you're sure, this, is, this really is a mess. You're going to have to come work all this out. That's what Gideon was. That's where he was. I want to close with this. The battle would begin at the altar. The battle would begin at the altar. But understand this. God took the broken pieces of Gideon's life. God took the broken pieces of that, those Midianites. All that satanic pagan worship that Gideon just smashed. Notice he told him to do that first. Why? Because he took the broken pieces from that and he took the broken pieces from Gideon's broken home and he brought them together with one man that just said yes and started something for God right there. So whatever in your life that you think is broken, it's broken. I've got to fight it. I've got to destroy it. I've got to go against it. I've got to stand up for what is right. I've got to break the mold. Know 
that God can take those things, smash them, crush them, annihilate them. Have I ever told you how powerful our God is? He can handle it. Absolutely squash it. Okay? Squash it and turn it into something beautiful. Turn it into the start what Satan meant for evil. God meant for good. Amen? Could, could you say maybe it's start time to say is enough is enough and go to war? Enough is enough and stand up for our houses. Enough is enough. What's Brother Bryce telling you to do? Get back to what we started tonight. Get back to corporately and individually hitting that war room, hitting them altars. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Gideon. Thank you for a nobody. Thank you for a nobody like me and like Gideon. I just simply said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Okay, Lord, I'll go to war. Okay, Lord, I'll pray. God, I'll stay out of your way. God, I pray that that is what you allow us to do. Help us to not fight Satan's war his way. Help us to control our anger. Help us to control our emotions, God, and just simply let you shine through us. God, I needed this probably more than anybody in the room. God, I thank you for speaking to my heart. God, I pray that you speak to your church as only you can. I ask these things in Jesus' name.